We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This thing on? See, now I'm getting mad. Because it's getting ready to be on. I want my whiskey to bite me a little bit. This is the kind of psychopath that I hang out with. I got beat up outside of a Denny's. The Rockpile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. He likes to get in the ex's nose. Something I can't do with this podcast because I drink too much. Chris Kruger. My rollerblading blonde mohawk producer. The pettiest, hardest drinking Bills podcast. I'm an adult. I know what I'm about. Played good situational football tonight, uh, leaning on our defense, only allowing 10 points. That's awesome. Um, and again, finding ways to win football games. Yeah, as you progress in the season, you know, winning is just the most important thing. It doesn't matter how you do it. One point, 100 points, it all counts as the same. So um, nine and three. We got a little mini bye this week and get guys healthy, get guys ready to go next week. Welcome everybody to another edition of the Rock Pile Report podcast. I'm your host, Bill Season Ticket Holder Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger, and that was Josh Allen post-game with Richard Sherman, uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Tony Gonzalez, and Tony Gonzalez after a... Why don't we get it out of... A win is a win. The guy (laughs) said it himself. A win win is a win. Doesn't matter how you get there, a win is a win. Doesn't care about 19th and red zone efficient... Efficiency or whatever the fuck you were spewing last week. Win is a win is a win. We won. On to the Jets. Style points mean nothing anymore? I mean, <laughs> no. Oh, God. Guys, what a, what a day on a Friday evening edition of the Rock Power Report. It's always good when we get to get together and drink on a Friday. Yeah, well, this today is my Sunday. I got to go to work tomorrow. See, so. like that's just that depresses me. Like that depresses me hearing it. I don't even have to live it. That's depressing <laughs> to me. Good lord, not depressing to me. I'm I'm fine with it. Well, because you're not a people person. Like I still have to work with people. No, you're. You, th- th- this is why I think you're happiest. You're at your happiest when everybody else is at work. There's no one in your way at the grocery store. Yeah. There's no one to bother you in public by and large. There's no one here because your girlfriend's working. Yeah. Oh, this happened today. We should get the, this happened today. So I had to work my overtime shift 
on Wednesday night. So I got home Thursday morning, 8 o'clock. I'm in bed. Wake up at 12.15. Four and a half hours of sleep. Game day. I got to go get my hair cut. I go take Benny to get his hair cut when he gets home from school. Then I went to the I went to Wegmans in uh you know over in West Seneca and we're at Wegmans cuz I got some bison dip and chips for the game. <laughs> and we're standing in the chip aisle and I go, "Hey buddy, pick out a bag of potato chips." And he's like he's looking around and he goes looks at a bag of Lay's salt and vinegar and he goes he goes well I'm definitely getting party size <laughs> and so you know I I had nothing but a tight schedule on Thursday getting up yeah. and then even this morning Je- Jessica was like he's got a half day today and I was like all right well what time does he get off the bus she goes I had 11:50 and I was like all right she bounces out of here this morning at like 9.45 to go to the office. I'm putting the finishing touches on after the snap, and I let it mix, and then I'm like, all right, I got to get my errands done before Benny gets home, which is casino for a parlay, <laughs> and then I got to go to Market in the Square and get some things. So I go to the casino. Everything's down. All the kiosks are down. You can't go to the window and put like place bets so i sat there for like 20 minutes bullshitted with some old man who was doing the old the paper that's you that the, the, no you i use that no but it's you and that old man are the only two people shuffling around buffalo running errands at, at two o'clock in the afternoon no this is at like 10 10 30 <laughs> so i was like all right well i guess i can't place a bet today i'm gonna have to get up early tomorrow but i went to market in the square and got some groceries and i came home and i'm like all right it's 11 i'm like Driving home from Market and Square, I'm only a few miles away, and I'm like, all right, I got, I'm gonna get home at like 11:30, plenty of time. I pull in the driveway, and like Benton runs out of the front door, like he was already home. I was like, oh wow. Neither me or Jessica really knew what you and this kid time he gets home. You and this kid. Luckily, somebody left the front door open. <laughs> So he was, he had no problem. We do have a hide a key on the property. So I, I, here's what I love. First of all, you and your, you and old men are the only people out running errands. This is my takeaway from what you're telling me right now. Also, you and this kid are bonding kind of like, it's like one of those movies. I'm trying to think there's a million of them. Like, uh, Bruce Willis and he gets saddled with a kid and he's like, ah, I don't want this kid. Oh, this kid's going to cram my style. going to get in my way. And next, next thing you know, you two become like. A duo? Yeah. I can already see it. You guys are going to make a buddy cop film. <laughs> I do this thing where he, uh, I'll like, I'll, uh, like Pillsbury Doughboy him. I'll poke him in the stomach. Like, a lot of times he likes to go to bed with his shirt off. So I'll do the Pillsbury Doughboy poke at him. And so he'll do it back to me, like, when I'm not paying attention. And one time he just, like, slapped me and hit me in the, in the belt. <laughs> like right at the, the belt buckle he just got me then jessica was standing there and she was like benny and he goes what he left himself open <laughs> <I was> like, 
That is the correct answer. I, I did leave myself open. Guys, what you're listening to is the beginning of a buddy cop film starring Chris Krueger. Cop and a half. Cop and a half. Yes, that's it. Burt Reynolds. Thing. It's it, a- it, yeah, Burt Burt Reynolds. I just got. I, I got to throw in. I got to trade in my Chelsea boots for actual cowboy boots. For, for actual boots. At cowboy boots. Have to, you're gonna have to grow a mustache. That I can't get a. I can't get a Reynolds mustache. Not many people can. No. You know, you, you, you see, you shave, right? You're yeah, a like, shaving man. Yeah, I'm like, a shaving man. You know who else is a shaving man? Josh Allen. Oh, yeah, yeah. How yeah. awesome was that last night? How awesome was it to know that he not only... I think it was better listening to the Patriots fans freak out about it on social media. Yeah, yeah. All the angry tweets about, why the hell is Josh Allen on TV during a Patriots game? Dude, the Patriots need a better new sponsor. This is bullshit. It's the best. Yeah, apparently Josh Allen did take that uh, Gillette sponsorship, knowing that the that's where the Patriots play is Gillette, and it kind of being petty, it sticking has, it to him. Dude, not only is that like incredibly up our alley, but it's one of those things where isn't it nice knowing that like we're not the franchise that's watching the other teams. Super, you know, super like marketable superstar player. Yeah. Just stick his face all over the place while decimating your football team. Yeah. It's the best. And that brings us to our week 13 recap. The Buffalo Bills 24, the Patriots 10. Stats of the game. Let me pull this up here. Mac Jones. Mac. What is his real name? Like the Uh. full name. Do you know? I can easily Google it. I, I assumed out. it was Mac. Mac, like always sunny? Yeah. Mac Michael jo- McCorkle Jones. <laughs> McCorkle. He played like a McCorkle last night. 22-36 for 195, one touchdown, one sack, an 84.8 rating. Josh Allen, 22-33, 223, two touchdowns, two sacks, a 106 rating. 20 yards on eight rushing attempts. The third down disparity between the Buffalo Bills and the, and the New England Patriots. New England was three for 12, whereas the Bills were nine of 15. Better than 50%, almost up towards 60. Wide receiver Stephon Diggs, seven, seven catches on nine targets, 92 yards and one touchdown. James Cook, season high 14 carries, team high to- 20 total touches, 105 all purpose yards. Cornerback snap counts. Cornerback Xavier Rhodes with 47. Cornerback Trey White with 33. Dane Jackson with 28. And Kyer Elam, zero. And a healthy scratch slash inactive for the game. Patriots cornerback Jonathan Jones. 11 targets, 9 catches allowed. A team high 89 yards surrendered. 7 first down completions against. And 2 touchdowns in coverage. Left tackle, left tackle David Questenberry, three pressures, two sacks, one hurry, and a partridge in a pear tree. Tight ends, Jonu Smith and Hunter Henry, seven targets, a combined 19 yards, one first down. Time of possession, the Patriots' defense spent over 38 minutes on the field. I like it. So, Chris, you hosted. Again. Just your second watch party of the season. Is that watch party ever in this house? Yeah. You did well, sir. 
Yep. What would who? What was the the, the pastry dish? thing what was that that was brought by franny one of Je- uh, jessica's friends it was like a puff pastry it was like one was like pear and walnut and the other was like apple and i don't know too many flavors it was like apple and bacon and like gouda cheese on a pastry like this is high-end shit between that and your cocktails, I definitely felt like I, I felt like I'm not classy enough to hang out at a party like that. Yeah, I did make Mark a old fashioned. Uh, you did. I did see Mark drinking an old fashioned. Also, class moves. This is what I mean, guys. Chris, when he throws a watch party, it's all about class. He went to Bella's instead of Wegman Subs. Power yeah. move. Power move. Yeah, we don't fuck around with they, a party. They give like when you get sub oil, they give it to you in an actual bottle. Yeah, yeah. Instead of just like in a tub that will inevitably spill all over everything. I was on my way over here, Chris. Today or yesterday? Yesterday. Yeah. Now you watched me come through here and put a six pack of Sam Adams in your fridge. That I don't remember. Okay. Well, I did that today when I got here because I bought it on the drive over. Last night I stopped at Consumers to get beer for my wife and I. She, we drove separate. I'm in there and I'm checking out and I turn around and they're getting rid of all of their Oktoberfest beers. They're just trying to offload all the seasonal shit so they can bring in all the winter warmers yep. and the stouts and the, the winter ales. You know, I'm drinking one right now, a Southern Tier Old Man Winter. And uh, behind me is this whole rack full of six packs of Sam Adams Oktoberfest. Now, it's not the best Oktoberfest, but it's drinkable. It's not terrible. Buy one, get one free. So for 10 bucks, you're landing yourself a 12-pack of, of Sam Adams Oktoberfest. And I almost bought it last night until it dawned on me that you can't be the dickhead who brings Sam Adams beer to a Bill's watch party. Correct. Like, what's the punishment for that? Is that grounds for removal? Yeah, it is. I I don't think I've ever had a Sam Adams at all, just based on the fact that they're out of Boston. It's the only reason I, I refuse to drink Sam Adams. Regular Sam Adams kind of sucks, to be honest. Like, if we're being yeah. fair, it's one of those beers where you go, it's smoothish. Don't they have a cher- don't they have a cherry wheat? Too? They have a cherry wheat ale that tastes like someone poured cherry syrup. See, I directly like into I like the Don Cherry wheat ale that you can get at Pearl Street. Yes, that is good. Well, because it's a, it tastes real. It's not it like I said. It's not fake syrupy tasting. I remember the first time I ever ordered one, and I ordered it by accident because my friend Dan Moss ordered one. Yeah, and I was like, yeah, I'll take one of those too. And they come back, I, I want to say we were either at a Buffalo Wild Wings out in Rochester or some maybe a some sports bar, but it's like a Rochester chain. And I just remember them bringing me my beer and setting it down in front of me and seeing cherries floating in it and that it had a red tint to it. And I was like, oh, there's there's some mistake. You put fruit in my beer. And they were the lady was like, oh, no, that's how it's served. And my immediate response was, the fuck it is. <laughs> the fuck it is. I'm not drinking that. Chris, how often have you, have you ever sent a drink back? Mm, no. I sent that beer back. That's how offensive it was. No, like I know at like when I go to Helium, I stopped getting old fashions after the first one that I got. 
because they put in a cherry and a orange wedge. <laughs> like a whole chunk. Like of a whole chunk of orange. <laughs> and then I was like, all right. They're trying it, to keep you from scurvy. Yeah. Well, I'm like, you see that and it's like, all right. You figured they can do handle the most basic cocktail that you could make. And I'm like, all right, we're going to have to go even easier than this. And I ordered a Manhattan at the bar. Very well done. I mean, there's not much to mess up. A Manhattan is two ounces of rye and an ounce of sweet vermouth. Dry no, vermouth if you're a gentleman. No. Two ingredients. Nothing. And I was in the showroom, and I ordered one from the waitress, and then I guess the other bartender had made it not good. I don't know how you can mess up a Manhattan. It's two fucking ingredients. But you didn't send it back. No. Yeah. See, that's how drank offensive. It like a man. So, so re- realistically, by and large, Sam Adams is a piss beer, but it, it makes is. it. But but it belongs in Boston. It. I think it's good for their culture to have that around them. Mm-hmm. So we break this one down: the good, the bad, and the ugly. I think it's. I, I kind of like this with these, uh, with these limited prep podcasts. Yeah, I like this. I like this system: the good, the bad, and the ugly. The good. It starts off with Josh Allen looking pretty fucking healthy, right? Like yep. after a month where he's been hampered by injury, we're finally seeing what he looks like when he's probably as healthy as he's going to be for the remainder of 2022. And it was a gorgeous thing to take in. I had Andy Parks, who came over for the game, I cribbed this quote from him in the middle of the game after the Gabe Davis touchdown. Josh Allen is video game nonsense. Like, it's just what he is. It's not fair. It's almost like uh, like, like the Toon Squad playing the Monstars. Like, that's what that game looked like last night. Mm-hmm. It was brutal. You, you look at the, the, the touchdown to Diggs. He never looks him off. Never. From snap to throw, he's staring down the wide receiver, just trusting, hey, he's not only going to get open, but he's going to get so open that this cornerback has no fucking prayer. Excellent ball placement. Nice velocity. And it's awesome to see because you know the two of them talked about it on the sideline, and Diggs basically just said, fuck this cornerback, just give me the ball. I'll, I'll take care of it. Also, on the Gabe Davis touchdown, which, actually, before we move on, theme of the night, Jones trash talking digs out of the gate. And we all were laughing in the room. We're like, why are they pissing digs off three minutes into a football game? That's a bad idea. Sure enough, because he's a petty jerk like us, he made him pay for it. Josh Allen's ridiculous jump pass on the touchdown to Gabe Davis. Like the last time I checked, jump passes, that was a goal line thing. Yeah, yeah. It was a Tim T. Tim Tebow's the one who made it popular, right? Yes. So in college, playing for Florida, Tim Tebow. This I'm going to run the ball. Oh wait, I'll pull up and I'll I'll check it down to a fullback who or a tight end who you guys let slip by you because you're so worried about me running the football. Great goal line play worked a lot. You don't do it from the 13. He caught everybody on the Patriots defense just standing around, not playing to the whistle, because they all just assumed he was running out of bounds. I assumed he was running out of bounds. The cameraman assumed he was running out of bounds. Nah. That had shades of the Dawson Knox touchdown 
the last time those two teams got together, where he's like, fuck it, throwing it. We'll see what happens. Like, I made a note in my phone. He did every single thing wrong on that play. Yeah. Rolling out, throwing back across your body without your feet set because you're jumping in the air. Nothing about this was smart football, but he's so fucking talented it works. And then on the quarterback run to get down to the 10 and set up that digs touchdown, it's second and eight. There's a run play called, but instead of giving it to the running back, he pulls it out, keeps it, starts following the blockers, sees a crowd of Patriots players standing basically between him and the first down. And he jumps five feet into the air, knees first, (laughs) directly into the crowd of them, crashes down to the ground, first down, sets up first and goal. I like it. All I could think about was the movie Lord of the Rings in the Two Towers. There's a scene at the end of the movie. uh, the, The fortress, Helm's Deep, it gets breached. And these guys are just swarming, and there's bad guys all over the place. The, the Urukai are all over the place. And Aragorn, the most important guy to all of Middle Earth, Aragorn goes, "Fuck it, YOLO," and grabs a ladder and just rides headfirst directly into a crowd of uh, into a crowd of these bad guys. Just and it's like that's where my head went as soon as I watched that play. I'm like, this is fucking lunacy. He. Nothing bad can happen to this guy. I mean, quarterbacks, Chris, I don't know running backs who intentionally hurl themselves into pockets of defensive players like that. Doesn't happen. It's lunacy, and they actually talked about it during the postgame uh, appearance by on the broadcast with Josh Allen. There was a play in the second half. You're running down towards, and, and you're looking for the getting to the touchdown. And you ran into the guy instead of running out of bounds. Now, I want to know, has there been any talk about that, maybe preserving that and saying, okay, we need you in the long run? Now, there's been a lot of talk to that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Doesn't mean he's I, listening. I, I won't lie to you, but, man, I'm, I'm a football player. I, I love this game. Uh, I love everything that comes with it. You know, watching Fitz play, he played the same way. So, But um, he didn't like the hurdle in the first half either. I, there's Josh Allen on set from the uh, Jeff Bezos TV network. Can you imagine going, I just signed this fat contract for millions of dollars. Remember remember a couple of years ago when I, I kind of posited the idea that Josh Allen's money actually makes him more reckless, not less? Yeah, okay. I can see it. Tell me that this isn't further proof of it. He's like, yeah, well, I already made my million. So if I get crippled, I'm already a millionaire. Fuck it. We're running it. Yeah, it is a thing we talk about, but I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to stop bulldogging these. Imagine being the linebacker on the other side of that. You're you're standing there, and here's this guy who's already bigger than you. Yeah. And now he's in the fucking air. <laughs> like, he's in the air, and he's coming at you with a head of steam. Like... On one hand, you're probably pissed off, and on the other hand, you're like, fuck, not again. And you almost maybe want to, I don't know. I don't know what. I don't know what you do in that moment. What I do know is that the tentativeness, like there's none of that. We didn't see a single bit of that last night. You saw 
a confident Josh Allen, a Josh Allen who was larger than life. And it's almost unfair for young quarterbacks like Mac Jones or Zach Wills. Like, I watch games like that and I go, it's not fair for Mac Jones to have to be out here on the field with Josh Allen right now. I like it. Do you remember how we used to feel that way? Yeah. EJ Manuel versus Tom Brady? Ugh. <laughs> EJ Manuel versus JP Losman versus Tom Brady? Ugh. It's like these poor bastards. Yeah. <laughs> They're just getting They the don't best. survive. Oh, they just get embarrassed, right? Yeah. I don't know. Like Allen did literally almost anything he wanted to last night, and it was a sight for sore eyes. Can I get this? This is 26 minutes ago. Something for you to look forward to on Sunday. Dolphins rule out Austin Jackson for Sunday. Also listing Teron Armstead as doubtful against San Francisco. Something to keep an eye on for no Sunday. No offensive tackles against Joey Bosa. I'm sure that'll go mm, well. Yeah. <laughs> or is it is it Nick Bosa? Either way. Either way. <laughs> Either way. Either way. Either <laughs> Either way, both Bosa's are in I, California. I love that. that I, I love. I don't know what this is, but g- day after game day, like maybe mildly hungover, Chris might be my favorite, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll have to. At some point, we'll have to copy Greg and Aaron and do one directly after the game. Oh my god, guys! Can you imagine what a shit show? Bible. <laughs> once we get these new cameras in next month, we we should do it. Hit the cameras, hit the mics, go live, and just, it would be a disaster of biblical proportions. I mean, the only time we could technically do it would have to be after the Bears game, but that's on Christmas Eve, dude. because I'll be off of work. Get hammered on Christmas Eve and ruin everything for everyone? (laughs) Awesome. Yeah, I mean, that's a selfish play, but yeah, we can do that. Uh, now, I guess here's the other thing, Chris, since uh, we're talking about you, you started the show talking about me having to eat a little crow. Ken Dorsey. Ken Dorsey. Who? Part of the reason that I think Josh was able to play such a confident game, he wasn't asked to sling howitzers down the field as the only method of sustaining our offense. You look at his passing chart from the night, it's, it's like you're used to seeing him work the 10 to 20 yard area of the field. Both of his touchdowns were more than 10 air, air yards. But it was like a 2 to 1 ratio of passes around the line of scrimmage. Just within that 10 yard range is where most of his passes, I mean, his completion percentage was pretty good. A large part of that is because of the game plan that was put together. And I guess if you're only going to bitch about things when they're broken and don't give them their due when they're good, then you're a hack. And so, in that way, I got to applaud Ken Dorsey for last night. In fact, I'm going to crack a fresh one for him. He called a surprisingly balanced game and had a great game plan for not not only how to attack the Patriots defense, but also how to maintain possession, how to eat clock. The pacing of the game was perfect in the second half. Ultimately, just squeezed the life out of him like a boa constrictor. We had... Chris, for the first time, and remember back in week three when I was talking about 63 pass attempts and why that's that's ridiculous? It is ridiculous. We had 15 more rush attempts than pass attempts last night. Say that again? 15 more rushing attempts than passing attempts. That's interesting. Balanced touches within those, between the running back stable. 
And situationally, they all got used really well. Naheem Himes was being moved all over the formation. You wouldn't know to look at the game alive, but Singletary, Chris, he outweighs Cook by almost 20 pounds. When you think about his rushing style, he's compact, he's thick, got great contact balance. He gets out on the edge of the defense, gets a little contact, bounces off, gets some yards after contact. It it makes him better in terms of the goal line. Do you remember when Bean thought that Zach Moss, like, well, we got to have this. Yeah. I think Singletary's actually, like, his rushing efficiency inside the 10 is actually pretty good. And then on outside runs, he, he's going to encounter some contact, but he'll get you extra yardage. Meanwhile, from Cook, we saw exactly what they wanted from him when they drafted him. Because he's a smaller guy, a little slighter. He's tall, but he's a little thinner. He doesn't have the same build as Singletary, but he's slippery. It's like a like uh, defensive tackles talk about it They're, when they talk about getting through the line of scrimmage, like a bar of soap. Mm-hmm. Like you think you got him, and he'll just squeeze and press a seam, and all of a sudden he pops out the other side and keeps moving. We watched that on most of his runs, just squeezing in behind our guards and tackles for yardage while they created small creases in the de- in the defensive tackles and linebackers. And he seems to have learned from last week's mistake that almost resulted in an interception. He was a great receiving safety valve for Josh Allen on a night where the tight ends only saw a single target. They designed the passing game. Every play had downfield options, but with running back outlets incorporated into him. And he used a ton of it. I mean, look at the result. Cook walks out of this game, six targets. Second most targeted wide receiver on the team, or third, I believe. Yes, third. He caught 100% of his targets. No drops. No, hey, we're going to throw it at you and you're going to run the opposite direction. Also, he tied Stefan Diggs for first downs generated with seven. It's pretty good. I left Cook on my bench. For fantasy, what do you okay? So, what was his score in my fantasy league? He had 16 and a half points. Okay, so six per catch plus 100. Yeah, that makes sense because 100 total yards yep. between receiving and re- that's the type of efficiency. I mean, because Chris, isn't that the reason that they wanted JD McKissick? Yeah, so they draft- and the reason they got Naheem Hines, but so the thing was, they wanted right, they really wanted a receiving back. They drafted Cook, and this is the first time we've actually seen him allowed to operate on a large scale in that role. I mean, kudos to Cook for finally coming around, but also kudos to Dorsey for giving him the chances. The running backs were used as a weapon in both phases of the offense. Like They were utilized in the red zone. There's a ton of motion. Chris, I saw this, and Eric Turner from Cover One commented on it that made me laugh. He gave us 10 personnel, right? 10 personnel with Hines and McKenzie in the backfield, both coming on motion at the same time. I saw more motion from this offense than I have in a month and a half. I like it. It's great. It was a thing of beauty. Like, I imagine in Pulp Fiction when they open up Marcellus Wallace's, uh, Marcellus Wallace's briefcase and there's something glowing in there. It's that game plan. Yeah. It's that game plan and that type of execution. I got a question. I got an answer. Does Dorsey look better 
when his work is sharing the field with Matt Patricia's? Probably. Matt Patricia's offense went 47 minutes of game clock between scores. That's fucking hilarious. But so because I love Schadenfreude, I went over to the... uh, I spent a lot of time today listening to WEI and uh, browsing the Patriots Reddit page. Chris, their misery is a lot of fun to roll. Like, I'm rolling around in it like a dog that found something terrible out in the backyard. It's the best. Uh, From some user called ZEFA Grimms, Matt Patricia has to be the most sorry coach ever. He ran double posts on the same side of the field on the most ass-backwards high-low concept I've ever seen. What the fuck is that? Ask Madden could have come up with better plays. I like it. Every time they showed the overhead, the only option appeared to be a check down. The spacing was terrible again. The offensive line was horrible, and this is painful to watch. That was from Rhino184. Somebody called Beast of Burden 14, which is an amazing song, by the way. It was pathetic seeing Mac run for his life and his offensive line standing there doing nothing. No one is schemed open. Yeah. Isn't it easier to applaud your offensive coordinator or at least to see where his value lies when you're going up against a team that's just that inept in that regard? Yeah, this is a better analogy for Kramer doing karate. (laughs) We're all at the same skill level. He's like, listen, I can see it now. Ken's like, Ken, they're like, Ken, you know, you did kind of just like. It's, he goes, look, I grossly outcoached Matt Patricia. They're like, well, look, you two aren't exactly on the same level. And he goes, well, what are you talking about? We're both rookie offensive coordinators. We're both at the same skill level. <laughs> oh, God. I, kudos to Ken Dorsey for calling the most complete game of the season against one of the, the NFL statistically stingier defenses. Hopefully you can keep that up because it's not going to get easier this week. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. That last Reddit thing, that last Reddit thing from a Patriots fan is where I'm going to kick off the bad from this game. Yeah. And that's the Patriots offensive line and skill positions. It's like in Home Alone. Mac, your wide receivers. Woof. <laughs> Holy shit. I mean, the, the Bills defense had, you talk about relating actual football to fantasy. I got five and a half points yesterday from the Bills defense. Why? 
I got half a point from Dawson Knox. Do we talk about that? Whoa, that sucks. But he also got injured, so. True. When you think about the Bills' defense and the job they did, it was solid but not spectacular. I mean, they had one sack and a handful of pressures, four tackles for loss, no fumble recoveries or interceptions, and almost safety, although that was more Mac Jones' fault than... Uh, I mean, our linebackers played a lot of zone. There was They didn't really get involved in the pass rush at all. Our defensive tackles at Oliver and Jordan Phillips were held to just four combined pressures. Like, Edmund, like Ed, what I noticed, Edmonds had a great game. We talked, we were talking about it during the party, about how Edmonds, the knock on him was never that he didn't have all the physical skill in the world. The reason, it's the same reason that Josh Allen wasn't drafted first overall. That Baker Mayfield and Sam Darnold were taken ahead of him. It's because when people looked at Tremaine Edmonds in the draft, Roquan Smith got drafted ahead of him. Yep. But also Tremaine Edmonds was like, what, 16 when he got drafted? Yeah. Well, no, but the thing, well, and that was always the thing. They said, physically, you will not find a more ridiculous specimen to play linebacker. A guy who can cover slot receivers, who could be your outside linebacker in a 3-4, who could be a stand-up middle linebacker, a guy who can do everything, play with range, play coverage, he can come on pass rush, he's huge, got giant frame, he just doesn't have it between the ears right now. His instinct, instinctual football play is not great. That's the reason he was there for Buffalo to draft when we traded up for him. But you could see that like, it's clicking. He was, he was constantly in the right place at the right time. Very few mistakes. And you could see the way his size at middle linebacker in a nickel formation. And then Rousseau playing at defensive end on this side. Even without Von Miller playing the other defensive end position, you could see the effect that the two of them had against the running game of the Patriots because they really never found their stride. They were constantly disrupting the line of scrimmage between the two of them just because they're so fucking big. I mean, Ramondre Stevenson... 10 attempts, 54 yards. Someone named Kevin Harris ran the ball for negative one yard. <laughs> that's hilarious. Like, this is what you did. Like, that's that's your bread and butter. That's pathetic. Yeah. I mean, if I could name a zero of the week, I'd give it to them. Like, if we could do it this early in the show, I'd give it to these assholes. But so, aside from the interception that the dickhead spawn of Ed Hockley robbed us of. Oh, yeah. Dude, fuck Sean Hockley. I'm so sick. What did I say last night after that play? I think I said something about I can't wait for him to croak too so I can dance on both your graves. Something like that. <laughs> I'll 100% find it because it is worth mentioning on this show. You'll have to give me a minute while I find it. No one did anything special or overwhelmingly explosive on defense last night. And you would think that that should bode well for the Patriots offense, but holy shit, was that ugly. Fuck Sean Hockley. I hope he gets to watch his dad die and gets pancreatic cancer. Yikes. And then I dance on both their graves. <laughs> that's classic Drew Gear in-game nonsense. Yeah, that's a thing. That's a thing that happens. <laughs> Jesus. That guy, I wonder how many Montuckies deep that was. I don't. Well, you were drinking the old man winters. A lot of the beer that you were drinking was like eight percent. That's where you like to uh, to sit in that zone for a for a football game is drinking a 
six and a half to eight and a half percent beer. Well, sometimes things happen. We're, the, we're a volatile group of human beings, and I'm. It's like I like. Remember when I celebrated the uh, uh, EJ Snyder and Brett Coleman of the Bootleg Football Podcast? We have a group chat, and they sent us a, a thing about a bowling alley called Brain Miller's Lanes here locally that collapsed due to the recent snowstorm. Yeah. They were like, oh, it's a hundred year old business that's like destroyed. The building's going to be condemned. Like it's going to have to be torn down. And, oh my God, it's so terrible. And EJ sent it to us and was like, this wasn't far from my cousin's place. And oh my God, like what a thing. And I sent it to him and I was like, yeah, I responded. I go, yeah, I did see that, but I fist pumped when it happened. I audibly cheered. And he's like, what the fuck? And I was like, yeah, well, uh, tearing down the fourth wall, my producer Chris and his ex-wife used to bowl in a league there. And that's where the... Chris, can we say it? The criminal? That's where she met the other man. Yeah. It's where she met the other man. And the staff knew... Had to know, because they were there without him, at times, being coupley behind Chris's back. And yet, like, no one said anything to Chris. They kept him in the dark on this. So when I found out that that place collapsed and was condemned and everyone was going, oh my God, this is a tragedy. I'm over here fist pumping like you're playing Brass Bonanza. Do you want to know why? Because when I talk about pettiness being a thing I do, it's, it, listen, you don't understand. I'm not, it's like the, the, the quote that made Brett Coleman laugh was, I go, guys, I'm not a good person, quote unquote. I'm okay. You're definitely not. I'm okay. Right? Yeah. I'd like to think I'm more of a neutral. <laughs> like I'm a chaotic neutral character if they're if you're breaking out one of those grids. And what I am is I'm loyal. Loyal to people I care about. I'm loyal to things I care about. I care about Chris, therefore, to hell with that bowling alley. I don't care what happens to him. And the Hockey League family. I don't care what happens to them either. So with that said, you look at how ugly things got for the Patriots offense last night. Six punts, including multiple consecutive three and outs, like over and over and over again as the Bills are slowly, inexorably pulling away. No Patriots wide receiver with more than 31 yards receiving on the night. A pair of drops, but realistically, that's just the recorded drops. There were like three or four more that Patriots players probably could have made if they had just tried if they had put in some effort aggressively attacked the ball and then the play chris late in the game that had everyone at your party just laughing and celebrating the one where i text christian late in the game what did you text him the mac jones running around yeah let me go back to it late in the game folks everybody like everyone quit on mac jones what he said the whole team quit a blind man could see it beaten like a rented mule scrambled away from multiple players it had to be eight or nine seconds i mean i rewatched it last night when i got home but i was also in the bag yeah he like basically went sideline to sideline like he ran the width of the field at least once over yeah and avoided he avoided a Jordan Phillips sack attempt that had to be one of the most hilarious things I've seen in a football game live. 
and, and I'll tell you, as a former 350-pound guy, I get it. Like, sometimes when you're, when you're that big, you just get tired and you say, fuck it. And you heave all of your weight. And you, like, him, Phillips diving at Mac to try to sack him on that play, it looked like somebody's drunk uncle doing a belly flop on the 4th of July more than it did an NFL football play. Yeah. I loved every second of it. So he heaves the ball into the end zone finally, and it almost gets intercepted because all of his wide receivers are just standing still watching it. Yeah. Chris, take that play. And then think about the one we talked about on the other side of the ball where the defense just let Gabe Davis just run around and then they quit instead of playing to the whistle. Have you ever seen a Bilicek team not just fail to execute, but literally quit on a play before it's over? Never. I feel like if there was ever a sign that Bill might have lost some of his magic touch, for me, it's that right there. It's that play right there. I can't wait to dissect the dynamic and hear about what's going on inside that locker room when we do our AFC's roundup with Christian this week. I'm already excited about that conversation. It's how many days away now? Four. Four? Four or five. Jesus. I don't want to wait that long. Well, you got to. Also, the Bills cornerback usage. I wasn't a fan. And it was confusing and a little disappointing to me because Elam hasn't been bad, has he? No, I was surprised to hear that he was scratched and not designated with an, being scratched with an injury. Now, Kyle Trimble was here watching the game with us. Dr. Yeah. Kyle Trimble of bangedupbills.com. And uh, I don't know. We I asked him about it, and he was like, I don't – he played last week. I haven't heard anything about a re-injury or an aggravation or anything else, so I don't know why he wouldn't be out there. And yet at the same time, the Bills saw fit to park his ass on the sideline. Like, he hasn't allowed more than 35 yards receiving against him in any of his last three starts. It's almost like you wonder if he was, like, late one day <laughs> to practice. I I don't know. I don't know what they could use to justify that and then giving Xavier Rhodes basically the start. If yeah. you look at the snap count, he was CB1. A, I forgot Xavier Rhodes was here. B, when you read his snap count earlier, I don't remember seeing him on the field. Like, watching the game, I don't remember his name being brought up. No, most people don't. And that's why I was, like, blown away when I looked at the snap counts. I'm like, you mean to tell me that that guy? And he didn't do well. I guess I guess it, it wasn't great. I guess it falls in line with, like, a similar thing where if, you know, if we heard his name, maybe it wouldn't be good. Kind of yeah. like kind of like if we heard Reed's name mentioned, oh, it must not be good. That's, that's fair. I mean, he did... He did allow some catches. I mean, it's just... I mean, that's yeah, but happen. were they egregious? No, but they weren't great. It wasn't great coverage. So, I don't know. It's just one of those situations where I look at that. I mean, Trey looked okay. If, if there's any silver lining to this, that, that play late in the third when he comes up and runs support and everybody in the room just kind of went... <gasps> yeah. Like, don't do not do that. Just push that guy to bounce. Just get, 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 get in and get out. But, I don't know. Like, you just have to hope that it's them being cautious with Elam and his foot injury and not another setback or worse, the fact that the staff for some reason doesn't trust him? Cool about it? Yeah. I don't know. I just, the whole thing was disappointing to me. I didn't like it. 
But there were worse things. And that brings us to the ugly parts of the game. And I want to talk, first and foremost, we start with the left tackle group without Deion Dawkins. Oh, Chris needs a Montucky. Yeah. Yeah. Drinking Chris is my favorite, Chris. Drinking hungover Chris. Who (laughs) knew that you were this much fun to hang out with? (laughs) I mean, it's a Friday, so you need to. But that tackle group last night. I mean, I, you'll probably get to it, but Quisenberry. No, that's it. Is, that's is, it. Is that just it? The the wit, the wit. It's like the old Dan Patrick Sports Center calling a strikeout. The wit. <laughs> <laughs> if I was a Karen, I would approach Brandon Bean with a receipt and a clip of that strip sack that David Quisenberry did his best Venus de Milo impression on, and I would ask. Why was I told that this was supposed to be a backup left tackle? I was told by someone in your organization that this was a backup tackle. Now, before we beat the guy up too much, this is, and this is why watching the games with Kyle is kind of fun. Yeah. Because the stuff he's putting on his Twitter, we get in real time. So we're watching him get his ankle taped, and he was like, immediately was like, well, that's not good because that's his, like, that's not his post ankle. It's his slide ankle. Like he's gonna like so if you're playing tackle, you have to push off your right leg. Yep. And now you're using that to kick and slide your body across the across the arc of the of the pocket. Yeah. So on that play, like you watched it. He couldn't get that foot planted well enough to get any get the velocity he needed to keep up with Uche. So when he made his punch, he was like behind already. Yeah. And the punch made him just fall forward. So now the only thing he can do is just lean on him. Like have you ever watched fat guys at the park playing basketball, like pickup games? You you inevitably at any pickup game, you end up with the two fat guys who are basically resigned to like, look, we don't want to look like slouches, but also we're both gas, so let's just lean on each other and make it look like we're playing defense. <laughs> no one will throw the ball to us. <laughs> I like it. But that's what it looked like. And so I get it. He's not healthy. He wasn't healthy. It was a bad play. And then he got hurt again later on in the game. But holy shit, was that ugly. And then Bobby Hart came in. Bobby Hart comes into the game and didn't look much better. Uh, check our Twitter. Uh, Jake had a funny tweet about that. What was it? This from Jacob Robert Lee one on Twitter. The only thing I saw that was worse is when Bobby Hart when when they put Bobby Hart in to give Questenberry a break, and he proved how useless he actually is. I guess it's because the Earth has curvature and he can't cope with that. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't know how to navigate a pocket because the Earth is not flat; it's curved. Like straight, weird enough. Hart graded as our best run blocker, according to PFF, but how often do they know what the fuck they're talking about? Never. Someone made a point. I did see this, too. Someone made a point that with Hart on the field, the Bills actually generate more yardage like with him on the field than without him, which is weird. Someone go find that stat for me or t- call in if you know. But either way, neither of them were good. I'm not expecting our backups to play like all-stars. But what if the next time one of those guys gets their doors blown off, it's not a strip sack? What if it's just a blindside hit on our quarterback while he's trying to line up a pass to Diggs? What if it's a hit to the back of the knees on a similar play where a smaller defensive end's trying to uh, trying to bend the edge and he's got to just dip as low as he can and comes around the corner? 
hits our quarterback in the legs and the hips. You want that? No. Our offensive line play hasn't been stellar this year and the injuries keep piling up. That left tackle group is horrifyingly thin. And against a team like Cincy or the Jets or the Chiefs, it could cost us a whole lot more than just a victory. Aaron Cromer is going to have his hands full because as we ramp up to the playoffs, they have to have a better answer. In the event, like if Deion Dawkins can't go for some reason at some point down, down the stretch here, they can't let that happen again. That was embarrassing. Yeah. Also on the ugly list, Hamlin's shot on Jacoby Myers. That was ugly. Yeah, it was. For not being helmet to helmet, it was a vicious looking hit in real time. And I understood, like, well, <laughs> we're, we're going to get to why it was hilarious in a minute, but the, the field goal. But I respect, like, Chris, I'm going to say this with all due respect. I've already said some terrible things in this podcast. Yeah, something about pancreatic cancer. I did. Um, I also celebrated the uh, like the destruction of a local iconic bowling alley. Bowling alley. Yeah. I mean, at that point, I'm kind of being a dickhead already. With all due respect, I kind of liked the hit. Did it get him ejected and probably cost him a few thousand dollars? Yeah. Was it somewhat unnecessary given the score, the pace of the game, the time of the game it was happening? Yeah, probably. Is it something that the Jets offensive coordinator and wide receiver coaches are going to at least talk about at some point in their meetings this week? Yeah, I'd have to think so. Jordan Poyer has made a career for himself, not just being athletic and instinctive, but also by playing a really physical brand of football. His game is hard hits and talking shit. And while some people will call it dirty, like, I've already seen it. It's like, that was a dirty hit on Jacoby Myers. Even the rules analyst during the broadcast couldn't make up his mind as to whether or not it should be an ejectable offense. They all just agreed that it was a really, really hard football play in an era where you're not used to seeing a lot of that. Chris, you, you remember the, uh, the ESPN segment they used to run, Jacked Up? Yeah. They had to do away with that. Because they're actively trying to take that style of, the, what is it, uh, who, Ronnie Lott? Yeah. That, that style of play is no longer celebrated in the NFL. So, with half the safety tandem that has been the backstop of a league-leading defense here in Buffalo for the last half decade on the IR, there are teams that are going to test our safeties. Miami and Cincy immediately come to mind. And while you might not like controlled aggression during a football game, when it becomes borderline, I want you to ask any wide receiver who's played against Jesse Bates or Tyron Matthew, Kevin Byer, Justin Simmons, Ed Reed, Troy Polamalu, any of any of the safeties that people like talk about and remember, there was an intimidation factor that like it matters both to the wide receivers and to the quarterbacks who throw the football. Teams are going to take note of the fact if DeMar Hamlin does like just that one play. Now they're going to go back and they're going to watch other plays. And they're going to go, God, he is kind of like that guy does just fly in there and lay the hammer. All right. Now you as the quarterback have to go into a situation knowing, ah, do I, I do I want to try to risk this first down throw? I know Hamlin might come in and clean my guy out. <laughs> I, I don't know if I want to risk that. 
So I'm not going to throw. Or it's going to change the angle and the velocity and the way I throw this football. It gives them something to think about. And if we can't have the elite coverage skills that Hyde brought to the table and have to rotate Poyer to the deep safety role in his place, I kind of like knowing that the guy we're slotting into the role that he's vacating has a little bit of sandpaper to his game. Isn't that how they say it in hockey, Chris? Yes. Guy's got sandpaper. Fourth liner, sandpaper. Give me fucking Tom Wilson. I don't think Tom Wilson's a dirty hockey player. I, if, would you take him on the Buffalo Sabres? Yes. Absolutely. Would I take Brad Marchand? No. Well, no, he licked a dude. I like that's just there's there's crazy and there's playing with an there's playing with an edge and being a tough guy and giving like intimidating your opponents. Brad Marchand is an actual piece of shit. Then there's a guy who licks another guy in order to instigate a fight. Like I'll fight you after the game. I'll fight you at the grocery store if you lick me. That's yeah. it. I'm going to find you at the grocery store with my kids in the cart and I'm going to beat your ass in the frozen food section. Oh, God. Yeah, so there, there's a line there. But I like knowing that the guy that we're going to slot in there has a little sandpaper to his game. And he's going to make plays that people take notice of, even if it does cost him almost a third of his weekly pay. How crazy is that? He's only making like 40 grand a game. <laughs> he's only making 40 grand a game. So if they fine him like $15,000, he lost a third or more of his day of his pay. That sucks. <laughs> Maybe Josh will pick it up. Somebody should. And then I think the ugliest part of the day was Mac Jones screaming at his offensive coordinator on the sideline. See, it's funny how when Tom Brady does it, everyone just goes, oh, that's just Tom being Tom. Look at him. He's, he's screaming at his wide receivers. Oh, it's great. It's great. How come it's not great now? He's like, no, he's holding them accountable. If I can do my worst Bostonian accent ever. He's just holding them accountable. You know, he's got to do the, you know, he's talking about, about the, the, those wide receivers got to get their shit together. Okay, why is it different when Mac Jones does it? When Mac Jones is on national TV screaming that they're running his bullshit <laughs> and they need to throw the ball better. <laughs> why is it different, Chris? That I don't know. I don't think it is. It's funny watching him do it. Oh, it's hilarious. It's a bad look for them as fans, I can tell you that. Or not not for fans, but as a franchise. Yeah, yeah. Like, the crazy thing is, all of that was going on. Like, you heard me say it at the top of the show that the Patriots, they're, they're tight ends. They are the number one team in the NFL in tight end spending. They got 19 yards for their $12 million investment. I like it. That's ridiculous. They're number two in wide receiver spending after the Devontae Parker trade. Maybe they'd get more uh, playing time if they murdered someone. (laughs) How do people listen to this podcast? Don't know. (laughs) I really do think that we're at the top of our game when we're both hung over the day after a, a late game. Yeah, I like it. I really do like it. So that brings us to this week's Hero and Zero. And it starts with the hero, wide receiver Stephon Diggs. Here's the deal. I'm the best there is, plain and simple. I mean, I wake up in the morning, I piss excellence, and nobody can hang with my stuff. Uh, you know, I'm just a, just a big, hairy American winning machine. There's something about a Bills game where our opponent pisses off Stephon Diggs early. We talked about that. You'd think by now teams would learn not to rile the boy up. 
last year in New Jersey. There's a history. Go back to last season. You go to New Jersey, a Jets rookie cornerback is talking trash to Diggs and shoving him after the whistle about halfway through the first quarter. Refs come in, they break it up, whatever. Later in the half, Diggs not only catches a giant pass to get into the red zone on this cornerback, but then basically demanded the ball on three separate plays. They were like, we're going to run this. We're going to run the play to Diggs. All right. He didn't get it. Run the same play. So literally the same route to Diggs again, pass interference in the end zone. He didn't get it, but we got a first down. We're going to run it a third time. And the third time he just cooked him again. And this time he broke the, he broke away from him so fast. He couldn't PI. And he caught the touchdown pass, and he just immediately turned around and started letting the kid hear about it. <laughs> yeah. J.C. Jackson got into it with him in that game in Foxborough last season. Right before Diggs lit him and the rest of the Patriots secondary on fire and then told their fans individually and one by one to fuck all the way off. So last night, Jonathan Jones, early in the game, Trading barbs and trading shoves with Stephon Diggs, only to get handled by Diggs. Six targets, five catches, 64 yards, and a touchdown allowed when he was covering Stephon Diggs. Like, it, that touchdown couldn't have been easier. He was painfully open. It's a thing of beauty, and it's something that routinely saves our ass, and it almost seems personal for Diggs at this point. Like, if you look at the stats he churns out when we play New England... He averages 13.8 yards per reception. He has four games with more than 80 yards, and he averages 93 yards per game. Five touchdown catches. 15 fans and more than a few defensive backs have all been told where to stick it. Like, he's hit every single... Chris, he's the best player on the field most of the time. It's what he needs to be. And you can tell in games like this that he's just... He was everywhere. He was making sideline catches, catches in the middle of the field. He's... He was everywhere, and their defense had no answer for him. None. What we like to see? It's fantastic. Like, do you can, think back to all the years that the Patriots would have the most talented players on the field on their sideline, and yeah. then would just pile it on us. Yep. Force everybody into a just just an existential crisis every year because you're like, I think we're good. No, we're terrible, and everything stinks. Well, here's the statistically superior Patriots defense going, fuck, fuck, we can't do anything about this. And Diggs is just trash talking them the whole way. Yeah. I love it. Love I it. love that the shoe's firmly on the other foot right now. And Stefan Diggs is a massive part of that. The zero of the week is Patriots fans calling for Belichick's job. You folks fell on your face. You get an F minus in my book. Now, Chris, as I always do, I woke up this morning. I was up late. I rewatched the game after I got home, had a couple more brews, fell asleep on the couch until about four o'clock in the morning. Um, you know, the good stuff. Yeah. Because that's how that's how primetime football is meant to be taken in. So I, you know, I wake up in the morning, I shower, I'm kind of going, I, I have the day off work, I'm going about my business. I put my earbuds in. And I immediately just turn on WEI and I spend three hours listening to it. And it's amazing because it's, it's some of the like it's some of my favorite radio Patriots radio after like an, a bad loss. 
That's just like a lot, like, oh, we lost a close one on Thanksgiving, but there's silver linings and talking points. No, a drubbing. Yeah, especially after you've been been, uh, silver spoon in your mouth for 20 years and cheaters. It's like something akin to a war crime just happened to these people, and I'm here to soak up every ounce of it. It was great listening. I tried giving Chris some clips, but because of the disparity between when you're listening to it on the app... Like the Audacity app? You were listening to it live. Yeah. So it was giving you actual timestamps. And when I tried to give it to Chris to find some of these callers... I'm getting it in podcast form. Yes. So I don't know. 1020... When you're telling me it's at 1026 in the morning... It's never going to end up there. It won't line up. So with that in mind, luckily for us, Sal Capaccio put together a masterpiece of callers to WEEI this morning. Well, it's not that good of a morning, buddy, but we're going we're gonna to see if we can recover from this one. Mr. Bill Belichick should be on his way out the door. He stinks. His ass should be out the door. Mac is a horrible quarterback. Is this the guy you want? What does Bill even do well anymore? Hey, good morning, guys. Hey. Yeah, it is a sad day when your only touchdown was scored by a defensive back that you had to put in on offense because he's fast. Everything that went wrong last night are all things that Bill Belichick used to be so good at. Well, somebody talk about Mac Jones. Somebody on the station talk about how bad Mac Jones is. Oh, everybody knows Matt Patricia sucks. I'm giving the tickets to co-workers and I'm going to go home and fight with my wife. (laughs) (laughs) That's probably the one I identify most with right there at the end. Yeah, you do like fighting with people. He's just like, my life stinks. I'm going to go home. I'm going to argue with my wife about something ridiculous because my life is terrible. I love it. That makes it. Chris, do you know how happy that makes me? Yeah. It makes it. <laughs> Listening to these calls, caller after caller after caller. And I'm walking around the house just laughing. And my wife's asking, like, what's wrong with you? I go, we broke them. We've finally broken them. Chris, we're going to talk about this in depth with Christian Simonelli in this week's AFC's Roundup podcast. But before Bill Belichick, do you remember like some of the bits and pieces of the 90s era Patriots? Yeah. They had their ups and downs. They had windows of competitiveness. 96. Bill Parcells built the team. Yep. Like before he left, Bill Parcells inherited a team that was dog shit, took him to the playoffs, and then slowly turned the roster over to a team that went to a Super Bowl, lost, then made it back to the division game, yep. lost. Pete Carroll t- takes over. Yeah. Gets him to the wild card round, but they lose. And then they were the worst team in football for the next three years. Uh, Before Parcells, Chris, how many times? Now, at that point, there was five teams in the division. Yeah, we had uh, Indianapolis in there, too. How many times from 88? Like, I'm looking at this now. From 88 to 93, they didn't finish higher than third in the division. They had one, two, three fifth place finishes. Yeah, they had a one in 15 season. <laughs> I know that. All of these idiots out here screaming about getting rid of Belichick. First of all, I would love it. Yeah. Nothing would make me happier. Second of all, where do you go from here? Look at how many failed head coaches just got hired in the last couple of years. Like, bad. 
Like, not not bad, maybe worse than bad, because bad gets you better players. Yeah. Bad gets you better players so that you can attract a better coach. Mediocre is the kiss of death. Yeah. Matt Rule. Went back to to college. He's at Nebraska. Cliff Kingsbury. He just signed an extension, so... Look at uh, yeah. Look at Cliff Kingsbury. Nate Hackett got a job. Look at Belichick's whole coaching tree. Joe Awful. Judge, Matt Patricia, Brian Flores. There are going to be a million candidates. Josh McDaniels. There's going to be a million candidates for a Patriots coaching job. How many are good? Like how many head coaching hires lately do you think have gone well? Yeah, and who wants to be the guy that comes in after Belichick? Not just comes in after Belichick, but has to come in and clean up the fucking mess. They haven't drafted well. Nope. They haven't groomed the talent that they do have. They can no longer attract free agents. Nope. Who cleans that up? No idea. This is what, like, I I say it to Mark Schofield all the time because he likes, he's a history nerd like me. This must be what the Visigoths, the, the, the German Goths and the other tribes, this is, must be what they felt when they just kind of sat back at the tree line and watched Rome burn down. They're yep. Like, ah, this is the best. It's happening. <laughs> it's the best. Yeah. And meanwhile, their fans, like those people, are zeros. Yeah, Only they are. Because they root for a losing team and because they don't have a future. They don't have an immediate future. No. It's the best. As we wrap this one up, your final thoughts, Chris. It's at this point where my sole focus is on this goddamn steak bet. You you, did, <laughs> you reached out to... It was one of the... Fu- so he DM'd last night after the game. He sent a DM to Aaron Quinn and Greg Thompson and said, Aaron, you're great with graphic design. I need you to make a chart that looks like the Price is Right cliffhanger game. Yep. With the sled going up the <laughs> up the hill, yeah, with the yodeling going on, and every win in the division just gets one step closer towards a piece of steak at the top. Yeah, how great is it going to be if we end up winning the Super Bowl and you have to get Greg a steak? I think I touched on this, but that is possible. The Bills are going to win a Super Bowl, and I have to eat steak and pay for Greg's. Now, hopefully this year you make the right choice and go to the Western door. You'll, I mean, I'm sure people, I'm sure you'll leave it up to a vote like last year, but Western door has got to be the option. I don't know. The chop house was pretty good and their the Western was, door is better. You know what? I will say I've never had the Western door, the chop house. I thought that the presentation and just the way the meal went. It was more casual than Russell's, which I actually liked. Well, yeah, you knew it was casual when you saw Cody Ford wearing a sweatsuit. It's <laughs> part of the reason I'm glad he's not here anymore. You are sweatpants into a steakhouse in my city. I'll see you in hell. <laughs> Put him on the list with the bowling alley. <laughs> yeah, the steak bet is where it's at. Now it's it's down to three and a half. Greg's got the, the upper hand here. Can't wait. You're going to be buying Greg a steak, and I like it. It's worth the price of admission if the Bills can pull this thing off. Now, for me, if there's thoughts I want to close on, it's this. 
last night, outside of Josh Allen's antics and Ken Dorsey calling a really nice game, just a really nice game from top to bottom, didn't last night strike you as a rather boring game? Bro, what was, I don't even remember what the final was. Was it 24 to 10? Yeah. Yeah. One of the rare highlights was the missed field goal by Nick Folk. That was, that was like, I've never watched a kick going, oh, he nailed it. And then it just hits the crossbar. <laughs> like, d- didn't uh, L. Michaels called it good? I think, I don't remember. I wasn't, we had so many people here. I don't remember uh, hearing the, the broadcast. I'm, of, looking, I'm looking at this now. Folk off the crossbar, one of the funniest moments, better than the kick Knicks on Thanksgiving because L. Michaels called it good. I like it. He was like, all right. And it's between the, oh, nope. (laughs) Nope. (laughs) Sorry, folks. (laughs) Like, oh, God. It's it's one of those things where that game had so little flash to it. Like, it had moments. There was the first touchdown, the digs, the, the the Davis touchdown that was ridiculous. That basically just proved like our team's ceiling in terms of execution is ridiculous compared to anything I'd say thirty other football teams can put out there on the field. Yeah, Joe Burrow's good. Joe Burrow is throwing a jump pass across his body to Gabe Davis for thirteen yards for a touchdown. That's not happening. There's the it's us and the Chiefs. We're the only teams that create. That's that's why they're must watch TV when they play each other because they're the only two quarterbacks and offenses who can create magic like that. At the same time, the game itself was incredibly boring, and I think that that's a good thing. Like they played an opponent who they absolutely outclassed in almost every single facet of the game. And they played like it. And they, it didn't take any heroics on defense. It just took them showing up and doing their job. Hey, guys, we don't need to blitz our linebackers. Let's just do the job. Play coverage. Trust that the Patriots will fuck it up, get the ball back, and run the clock out. And it worked to a degree that should scare the hell out of the New York Jets. Shouldn't it? Yeah, it should. It worked to a degree that should scare everybody because it's just like, look, guys, we didn't do anything special here. We just lined up and played football and we choked the life out of you over four quarters. Every mistake you made, we capitalized on, but we didn't. It wasn't it wasn't like the Lions game where it's like, oh, man, that one in a million play to get the safety kind of saved the game for us. You didn't need that. You literally just strangled slowly. It's almost like you're trying. You watch those movies where someone gets drowned in a tub. Yep. That was us for four quarters. We were just holding them down. Just like, shh, 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 stop, just stop. And you just, it wasn't. The bubbles are going. And then it's just like that. Bloop. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't scenes. It wasn't scenes out of a movie. It was just. All right, this has officially become the darkest <laughs> podcast we've ever recorded. Jesus Christ. Oh, folks, if you could just hear what Chris had to cut out of the podcast, it's it's one of the real, like, we really are jerk-offs, aren't we? Yeah. God, I love this. Pettiest Bills podcast, no one will ever stop us. I think hungover were even worse. But realistically, 
That's what it was. It wasn't, hey, a buzzsaw, and we're going to make all these high-flying plays. It was a slow drowning of the New England Patriots for four quarters. And, like, isn't it almost more soul-crushing that down as much as they were, that Jacoby Myers hit happens, they don't get the touchdown, and they just decide to kick the field goal with a minute 53 to go? Yeah. Like, we're not even going to really make an effort to try to win this game. We're just going to kick this field goal, try it on sides, and then hopefully go home. Go go all take a cold shower, go stare at ourselves in the mirror for a while, contemplate whether or not we got into the wrong line of work, maybe go home, fight with our wives. Yep. <laughs> that was the life of every Patriots fan, every Patriots player, and I'm happy that we could be the ones to deliver it. I love the way that they went about it. Because, again, it was unspectacular. It was just this slow, grinding, inevitable victory. I love it. Hopefully this is a sign that they're turning a corner, not just on offense, but in terms of the overall team's performance when it comes to the division. Because your margin for error doesn't exist. Now, obviously, games are going to get played on Sunday. We'll see what happens with the Dolphins, how they fare out West. A lot of that's going to factor into our own, the, the pressure that's on the Buffalo Bills. But right for right now, today, there is no margin for error for this Bills team. That's it. So to have a game like that is encouraging, and you just got to hope that they can maintain that momentum. Guys, we got two more podcasts coming out this week. They're going to be on Wednesday at our normal time. We got Next a, week. We got our preview with... Uh, what is it? Uh, preview for the Jets. Scott Mason from Play Like a Jet. Yep. We're going to have our AFC East Roundup where Christian's going to answer for this nonsense. <laughs> yeah, I oh, can't wait for that. God. Guys, another great week of podcasting ahead of us. But for today, we got to get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. And this has been your Rock Power Report.